How's it going, Godspeak? How you doing? All right, that's the reaction I love. <clears throat> if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I am excited to be uh, worshiping God next to you guys and be learning alongside you. You're going to have to show me a little grace tonight. I'm feeling a little under the weather. Uh, my chest is just not doing all right, so I got my tea, and we're going to be okay. But if I start coughing and I fall and faint, one of these got to just come up here and start preaching, because so, Mark isn't here. So I don't volunteer, anyone? Bam, right there. All right, we got it. Um, yeah, uh, if you guys don't have a Bible, raise your hand nice and high. We have Nolan and Micah, our two junior high leaders. They're going to get you a Bible. Raise your hand nice and high if you need a Bible. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Verse 19. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25. It says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, like that word, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are excited to be in your presence. Lord, I confess to being weak and in need of your Holy Spirit. Um, But God, that ought to be our posture always. And so, Father, in our weakness tonight, if there's any trials or struggles that any of us are going through, Lord, I pray that that would simply point to a reliance on your Holy Spirit. And as we learn tonight about uh, being anchored in worship towards you and in adoration towards you, I pray that we would uh, be able to give you the proper honor you are due, Lord, that uh, a certain reverence would be, uh, would be given to you tonight. God, it's very easy for us, young and old, to uh, be flippant with your presence. God, to take the the amazing sacrifice that you made, allowing us to go into your presence, taking that for granted. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't forsake this time of being together, being amongst your people. Lord, that this would be a grand time of learning and praising and thanksgiving. And so, Lord, we we give you honor tonight. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. Just so you guys know, we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord because that is, that is a, uh, to show reverence to God's word. And then you guys can sit down and relax because I don't have as good of things to say as God's word does, right? And so um, we have been going through a series, guys, called Anchored. And, and, and as I've said in weeks prior, this, this entire series is centered around being anchored in the essential practices of our faith. 
For those of you that have grown up in the church or been in the church for a number of years, you have learned that there are certain practices that we adhere to as Christians. There are certain practices such as uh, getting in the word, prayer. Uh, We worship musically and corporately. There's also practices such as being in community, getting on community groups and discipleship. There's all these practices. And I found that typically in the, midst, in the midst of church and in the midst of Christian life, we often get into these cycles and we often get into these times um, where we're doing something, but we don't understand necessarily why we're doing it. People tell us to do something and we're conditioned to do something. We grow up doing something. We just do it. Oftentimes we don't think about why. Why are we doing it? And it's essential that we know why, because if we're, if we're not understanding the why we read the Word of God, if we're not understanding why we pray, if we're not understanding why Jesus saved us, we're not understanding why we worship, then by definition, guys, uh, the, the practice is useless. Because God is all about the heart behind what we're doing, not the practice itself. And so you can sing all you want to God, but if you don't understand the heart behind it, then what good is it, Right? You can pray all you want to God, but if you don't understand what it's doing, what it's accomplishing, then why do it? You could read and know everything about the Bible, but if you don't understand its function, why do it? Right? And so that's what we've been learning in this series, and we, we learned about being anchored in salvation. That we are constantly trying to be the, the authors of our own lives. The vo- as we are voyagers in the seas of this world, we are always trying to be the forgers of our own path. We're always trying to grab hold of our own destinies and, and, and forge our own paths, so to speak. And we learn that, that this world, since it wasn't made for us, it's not going to obey us when we form a plan for ourselves. It's not going to obey us if it wasn't made for us and it wasn't made by us. We fall under trials and temptations and storms in this life simply because this world is God's, not ours. And we learn that when, when the storms of, the, uh, of life are raging, we are unable to reach shores on our own. And we learn that Jesus is what's called an anchor. How he is an anchor on shore and that he is also a forerunner where he endured the waves for us. He, he went the path of trial. He, he was tempted in every single way and persecuted in every single way towards the point of death, experiencing the entirety of God's wrath on himself. So that he might attach us to the anchor of the shore. We're always looking for paradise. And it is only by clinging to Jesus. Not by religious practice. Not by some sort of piety or going to church. But by clinging to what Christ has done for you. Is what gives you salvation. It is what gets you to that shore. It is what anchors you in the midst of the storm. And so we learned about that the first week. The second week we learned about being anchored in the word. We learn that the word is the way we know God and how we are known by God. How how God, when he desires to create something, in the beginning it says, in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and when he wanted there to be light, he said, let there be light. When he wanted there to be the water separated from the land, he, he, he said so, and it was. When he decided to create us as man, he said, let us make man in our own image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to make man. And when he made us, he spoke us into existence. And he breathed life into us. So we we know that God's words, they don't just kind of guide us. God's word doesn't guide us necessarily. God's word isn't 
the high, it, it, is, it isn't what people like to call ignorantly the manual to life. That isn't what it is. When God desires to create and transform, he uses words. And so when we get in the word and we understand God's character, it creates us. It doesn't justify certain worldviews that we may have. It forms the worldviews we have. A lot of people like to look in the Bible and say, okay, how does this match up with what I'm already doing? That's not the way the word works. It creates your lifestyle. It doesn't justify it. It creates your lifestyle. So, so people will be going through the word of God, trying to find specific out-of-context verses to make them feel better or to justify the sins that they're committing, right? Or the bigotry that they have, the racism that they have, the sexism that they have. They'll be looking for awkward verses that are totally out of context. God's word isn't for that. God's word isn't to reinforce these worldviews that we have. It creates it. It forms it. And being anchored in the word of God is essential to clinging to Jesus, our forerunner and our savior. And then we learned last week how to be anchored in prayer. That prayer is the way we obtain humility and boldness at the same time. Entering with confidence in the presence of God, not to give him our desires. A lot of people think that prayer is, is us coming before God and giving him our desires, our, our, our list of things that we want. But rather prayer is us coming before God and having him form our desires. Humbling us. There's no way you could be prideful when you were talking to the almighty God, Right? There's no way. There's no way to be prideful when you're humbling yourself in front of the presence of God. Now, we're going to be talking tonight about being anchored in worship. Anchored in worship towards God. And worship means many things, okay? Worship means many things. We're going to go over what the two different things that it means, okay? Musically and practically, we're going to learn what worship is. Tonight we will be discussing worship, um, what I like to call the front yard and the backyard to worship. And I'll, I'll be explaining that in depth later on tonight. But go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Go back there. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the first thing we need to understand about worship, guys. The first and foremost thing. I'm not going to go into what worship is yet, okay? You must understand, we must understand something about worship, that it is the same thing we need to understand about prayer and reading the word. It is essential that we understand that worshiping God is only made possible by what Christ has already done for us. Worshiping God, giving him the honor and the glory and the praise that he deserves is only possible by what God has already done in us. And so a lot of the times we think that us giving things to God, whether we're serving him or whether we're worshiping, a lot of the times we think that that's the one thing that we can give to God that he doesn't already have. But it's not. God is completely functional within the Trinity. He's completely satisfied within himself. He doesn't need us. And us being able to worship him, guys, is completely dependent on what Christ has done for us. Completely dependent on Christ looking at you looking at me and all my dirtiness, 
all the sins that I've committed, all the times where I've tried to forge my own path and in the meanwhile, running away from God and the paradise that he has to offer. And Christ said, I don't want you to be separated from me. I want you to be unified with me and my father. And he says, I'm going to take all the sin that separates you. I'm going to nail it on that cross with myself. And in that time, the entirety of God's wrath will be poured out on me so it doesn't have to be poured out on you. I will experience separation from God, Jesus says. Jesus says, I will experience separation from God so that you don't have to. And he did. And then he rose again, proving that death has no power or authority over the God, the creator of the universe. And our lives... As Christians, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, if you claim to be saved by the blood of Jesus, what you have essentially said is that I am no longer living this life for me. I'm allowing Christ and what he has done to define who I am. It is my identity now. I don't get to forge my own path. I don't get to decide what I do with my life. I don't get to make all these life decisions that that benefit me in my kingdom, my entire life, and the entirety of who I am is wrapped up in what is Christ's plan. What does he want to do? How does he want to use me? And there's a boldness to enter into God's presence because we come bearing the name and identity of Christ. This is the same way we have boldness to read his word and the same way we have boldness to come in prayer to him. We are no longer defined by our actions. You guys know that? You're no longer defined by the things that you do. You're no longer defined by all the, all the times you've messed up. You're no longer defined by all the dirtiness that you have accumulated over your life. You're now defined based on what Christ has done for you. And you wear his righteousness. That's amazing. It's insane. And so when you enter into God's presence, as we learned last week, when you enter into Christ's presence, he doesn't see you as you. He sees you as Christ, his son. I got into a discussion with my, uh, with my grandfather, who, uh, you know, he, he has some different religious views. And, and he was arguing the fact that we are all God's children, right? That Christ was just one child of God, but we're all children of God. And I would submit to you guys biblically, because what he says isn't necessarily biblical, but I would, I would see the biblical perspective, the way Christ has described it, is that he is the one and only begotten son of God and that when we accept what he has done and when we take upon his yoke, his lifestyle, his worldview, when we take upon what Christ has done, we then become adopted into God's family, bearing the name of Christ. And so when you approach God in worship, when you approach God in prayer, when you approach God in his word, God sees you not as you, but his beloved son Christ. This is what gives us ability to have boldness. Guys, this should give us two things. Knowing that we are wrapped up in Christ's identity, knowing that that is who we are, that we no longer have to define ourselves, but we're defined based on Christ. This should give us two things. Humility and confidence. Humility and confidence. And these these two are complementary towards one another. And, and we often think that humility and confidence are kind of the opposite, right? We tend to think that their humility is, is, is thinking low of yourself, kind of like, oh, you know, it's all the Lord, bro, you know, that type of false humility that we all love to give. No, that's not it, right? And then we love to think as confidence is kind of that, uh, that puffed up pride, right? 
How self-confident sometimes in people, it can frustrate you a little bit. Like, why is that guy so confident? Why is that girl so confident? And so, so confidence and humility, they have a bad rap, but I would say that the two go together perfectly when you bear the name of Christ. Humble in a sense that we understand that we are nothing compared to God. Humble in a sense that we are nothing compared to God. This causes us to look at him, guys, in in a more sober way. When we understand that he is powerful, he alone is holy, he alone is righteous. When we understand that the only thing good that God sees in us is the fact that we bear the name of Christ. When we approach him in this manner, there is humility coming before the throne room. And, and do you know what? Jesus says this. He, he gives the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. How a Pharisee came up in the presence of God and he said, God, thank you that you have blessed me. And that I'm more righteous than anybody, even more, more so than this tax collector. He says, thank you, Lord. And then Jesus describes how the tax collector, who was equivalent to a dirty politician back in the day, someone who everyone hated, considered they were considered traitors they were considered murderers and in, in, in their own way and the tax collector went before the temple and went before god and he didn't even look up in the sky and he beat his chest so have mercy on me a sinner and jesus said that it was that tax collector that gained favor with god rather than the pharisee that humility recognizing that, that compared to God's holiness, there's no way we can match up. Compared to the entirety of the gospel and who Christ is, that humility, that humility ought to overcome us. But then we have confidence as well. That humility also begets confidence. We need to be confident in a sense that we also understand something. We also understand God enjoys us. That God enjoys you. You know how you love someone, but you don't really like them? You guys ever had that? Where it's like you love them, you don't like them. Maybe it's your family, you know, parts of your family. I love my family. Don't like them very much, right? Usually, usually has to do with your extended family, right? That weird uncle that you only see on Thanksgiving, right? And he always gives you weird Christmas presents. Like you love the guy, but you don't really like him, right? You love him because you have to love him, but you don't like him, right? Am I the only one that's terrible? Yeah, (laughs) probably. All right, just me. Okay. But there's some people that I love biblically. I have to love them. I I have to, but I don't necessarily like them, right? I tend to think this way about that, that God thinks about me. I'm like, all right, Jesus died for me, but man, like, that was more of like, I'm God. I guess I have to be merciful and save Zach, right? <laughs> I tend to think that way sometimes. No, honestly, like when, when, I, when I'm in deep sin and, and, and when I'm just getting down on myself, I feel like, man, God just tolerates me. You know, like, all right, you can go on to heaven, I guess. You know, like looking at Peter, who's this guy, right? You know, like he's got his inner click. He, you know, he likes them. He doesn't really like me, Right. We have confidence in a sense that this, that that when he died for us, when Christ died for us, he gave us his righteousness that way now. We have Christ's righteousness, and what God sees in us is nothing but being washed clean and white as snow. And that everything that was already good in you is magnified by the Holy Spirit. 
every good quality of your character. God is wiping away all the dirt and magnifying the beautiful things that he uniquely created in you. God likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. And that's, that's, an, awesome sense. that's an awesome feeling. God doesn't just love you enough to die for you, but he also likes you enough to hang out with you. I mean, I would die for any one of you. I would willingly lay down my life. You guys would die for me, right? You guys would die for other people because we are selfless people. We are Christians and we will lay down our lives for other people. But there's not a lot of people, you know, there's some people that we just, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily click with, right? That we don't hang out with necessarily. God's not like that. God likes being around you. He enjoys you. He loves you. He likes you. And this should give us confidence. Confidence in the fact that God will be faithful even when we're not faithful. He says that in verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises is faithful. Confidence, guys. Confidence in the, in the power of God working in and through our lives. That's what we hold fast to. Confidence. Humility. Knowing our place, right? Confidence. Knowing where Christ has placed us. Knowing where we deserve to be gives us humility. And knowing that God's grace has put us up here, that gives us confidence. And so the two ought to dance together. The two ought to intermingle in a beautiful way in the Christian. A humility amongst people and amongst God and in his presence. And a confidence being able to raise your hand and say, I bear the name of Christ. And if he is for me, who can be against me? There's confidence there. And if 1 Peter chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 6 through 7, explains this balance well, where he says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. <clears throat> it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Be humbled by his mighty hand. But then it says that he may exalt you in due time. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Be crushed by his presence. Understand his power. Understand his ability to just in a blink of an eye make you disappear. And that he is fully in his right to allow you to suffer and perish. Be humbled under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time. And it's that humility. It says that God, God, he humbles the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. God is always exalting the humble. He's always elevating them to a place. He's always exalting the humble. So listen, as we go into what worship is, in any form of worship we give God, we must balance these two virtues, humility and confidence. In every form of worship, there's many forms of worship. In, many form, in every form of worship, we must balance these two virtues of confidence and humility, humility and confidence. We must. <clears throat> and so now, what do I mean? What do I mean by worship? And forgive me, I keep drinking, but my throat. 
What do I mean by worship? And, and here, here's what I kind of alluded to last time. I am going to equate it to what I call front yard worship and backyard worship. Backyard worship and front yard worship. There's some certain things, and I'll give you a brief explanation before I go to it in detail. So I live, I live in a house with uh, three roommates, right? One of them is there, Ryan. Uh, don't look at him. Look at me. I live in a house with three other godly men. They're awesome. We scored a house that was cheap, and it was a great location in Thousand Oaks. We later on learned that there's some really sketchy parts of our house, but like it gives a character. Like there's a hole, or like right in my room, where if you like remove this little thing, I'm like oh hey, right. Um, so there's a lot of like weird weird parts in our room. <clears throat> but like any typical house, any typical house, it has a front door and a back door, right? The front door going outside into the world. In the back door, going into our backyard. Now, when I walk out my front door, there is a posture that I hold. When I walk out my front door, I conduct myself differently than I walk into my backyard. I think we can all kind of take on this thing if you've ever lived in a house, right? Some of you have lived in apartments. Just kind of imagine this for me. You've been in a house before, I hope. Imagine this. When I walk out my front door, I I conduct myself very differently than when I walk out my back door. The posture is very different. When I walk out my front door into my front yard, it's because I'm walking to my car, right? I'm walking outside. I'm going out into the world. It is at that point when I walk out my front door that I become an ambassador for Christ in a world that needs him. There's a certain way I conduct myself. There's a certain posture I hold of worship. The way I act and interact with people is different than when I walk out my back door. When you're out in the world, there's, there's a certain expectation that you have of, okay, this world doesn't know Christ, right? It's not like I'm walking out like, what the heck? There's sinners here, right? Like, I'm always surprised at people that are surprised when people sin. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you, what do you expect, right? You know, like, what, 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 what do you, like, there's this person that was like, there's this, like, this gentleman, he was, he was talking to me about college, and he's like, oh man, what's it like there? I just bet there's sin everywhere. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) There's sin everywhere, right? So I expect that. I expect certain things when I go outside in my front yard, when I go in my car and I I go to school, I go to work, I go to different meetings in the community, right? There's, There's things that I expect. The way I act will be much different than the way I act in my own home. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you, you sin in your home and you're righteous outside or you have to take on upon a different kind of personality. But listen, I have tasks that God's given me outside. I have tasks that God has appointed to me outside when I walk out the front door. People that need ministering to. Work that needs to be done. All these things that I love in the way I worship God. There's a certain way I worship God when I walk out my front door. Now, when I get home, after a long day, I like to put on my board shorts, I like to have some tea, I like to go in the backyard, right? And we have a couch in our backyard, we have a nice little table where we could all sit down. Sometimes we as roommates just sit down back there. Sometimes my friends come over for cigars and pizza, do what men do, right? Talk about Jesus, all that good stuff, right? But there's a certain, there's a certain way, right? I, I have a couch back there where, for reading and naps, right? It's just great. It's great. It's a bachelor pad. Deal with it, right? I have a couch in my backyard. Yes. I'm not a hillbilly. I'm a man that just likes to nap in the sun. 
But listen, when I go into the front yard, there's a certain posture that I take of just, I am on mission. I need to conduct myself in a certain way. And there's actions that need to be done. When I go into my backyard, it is time to rejuvenate, to relax, to fellowship with my roommates or my friends that are there. Both are worship to God. Yeah? The work in the school that I go to, that is worship to God. My time with just reading and resting and hanging out with friends, that's worship to God, right? Right? These both are things. And so first we'll talk about backyard worship. Backyard worship, this is the corporate worship of the body. This is the church. There's a very specific purpose to why we meet here. Why we meet here. You don't just come here because there's like-minded individuals. You don't just come here because it's something to do on a Sunday night or on a Sunday morning. There's a purpose to you guys being here. And if if, if we just go to church just because, that is no fruit to you, right? That is no benefit to you. Going to church just because that's what you've always done or that's kind of what you want to do, that is is much less benefit to you uh, rather than when you know why you're coming here why you need to be here, why you need a fellowship with one another, why you need to sing, why you need to partake in communion, why you need to pray over one another, why you need to participate in eating with one another, in talking with one another. There's purpose. There's purpose behind it. In Colossians chapter 3, if you guys want to turn there, you can. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, I'll let you turn there. This is a Bible study. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, and all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is talking about worship, what we do here at God Speak. He is talking about the church service. In particular, he's talking about corporate worship. He's talking about corporate worship for some wacky reason, guys, for some crazy reason that is so beyond me. Because when you look at scriptures, it is so incredibly clear. And I won't yell too much because I have a cold. But I will yell a little bit. Because when I look at scripture, there's some things, guys, that just don't need to be debated. There's some things where the only reason we debate over it is because we're selfish. Period. I'll tell you something. The way we debate over musical worship is purely out of selfishness. Purely out of self-preference. That's it. Because it says right here, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And it says, admonishing one another in all wisdom. And so for some reason, for some reason, there are entire, there are entire denominations that are divided among how we conduct ourselves during worship. Guess what? If we are singing together to God in spirit and in truth, what we're saying is true and we're all unified in the spirit, that's worship and that's acceptable. doesn't matter what type of instruments are up here doesn't matter what type of music it is. And guess what? This goes both ways because I know a lot of you right now are thinking, yeah, those old people that just like hymns. 
I'm talking about you too, young people. I'll tell you what, I love hymns. Do you know why it's not my musical preference? But if I'm in a room where we're just singing from hymnals, I will sing to the Lord and love it. So, so this goes for both of us, guys. This, go, this, goes for, this goes for all different types of spectrums of musical preference. If it's, in, if it's in the truth of the Lord and it's giving honor and praise to God and we're doing it together with a heart of thanksgiving, that's worship. That is how the body ought to conduct itself during worship service. That's how it is biblically. And that we would be divided among how many people are at, well, we just, want, we just want a piano and hymns, or we want a full band. I don't know, I'm not going to come unless there's like cool lights, you know. I'll tell you this, our division is sprung up from two misconceptions. First misconception is that worship is simply an addition to the message. That worship is simply maybe a warm-up for the message or something we do while we're coming in, Right? Oh, they're going to start worship, and I'll just roll in, and you know we'll be cool. And then once we're done, if I have enough time, I'll stay and do worship, but maybe I'll leave. You know, If we see worship as a kind of a warm-up for the message or, or, or an addition to the message of God, what's going to happen, guys, is we're going to be spiritually unhealthy. What's going to happen is if, if, if it's simply a, a supplementary thing, if it's simply something that, okay, yeah, we do it in addition to the word. If we do it something in addition to discipleship, we do it something in it, and we don't see it of importance, yeah, we're going to judge it based on what we like and what's convenient for us, right? On what's convenient for us. <clears throat> if worship, and, and here's the second misconception. I, I, I think a lot of people think worship's for them. That worship's just for them. A lot of people are, are in it for the experience of listening to music. You know what I mean? In it for the experience of worship. In it for the way it makes them feel. Right? Is worship for you? Partially. Absolutely. Worship is partially for you. But it's about God. Right? It's, yes, it's, it's the, is the Bible for you? Yeah. Is it about you? No. Right? So if the worship is about us, if the Bible is about us, then we get to decide what's true and what's not, right? If the Bible is about God, we don't get a say, right? So if worship is about us, then we get to decide how we do so, right? And what our preference is and what we like and what we don't like, right? We get to judge this music. We get to judge this musician, right? If it's about us, and if worship is about me, that means that, that I don't have to worship if I don't feel like it. I don't, get to, I don't have to worship if I don't feel like it. I'll tell you what, how many of you have ever been to a youth camp? No, 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 as a leader. Yeah. <sighs> Worshiping at a youth camp for a leader? Hardest thing in the world. It is the only time you don't have to be interacting with those little snots, right? It is the only time where you do not have to be speaking to them, where they are occupied with music. The temptation, ladies and gentlemen, to sit down and pray. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Right? Like, the, I'm telling you, the temptation 
When I'm tired and I don't feel like it, the temptation to not pray and to just doze off into a blissful, like Dane's voice is beautiful. I just get to kind of relax and drift into five minutes of sleep before I have to talk to the kids again, right? I love the kids. I love them. I love them. But I'm telling you, when you're awake 24-7 for seven days, you know, for seven days a week, you know, you you don't want to worship. When you're going through a hard time, you don't want to worship sometimes. When you're embarrassed and self-conscious, you don't want to worship. But worship's not about us, is it? It's not. It's not about us. And so we don't get to decide when we do and do not worship. Now listen, personalities differ. So some people are going to be dancing and, you know, like doing something crazy. And some people are going to be there and worshiping. But here's, here's what we do. Read the Psalms and understand the posture of worship. That there's a posture of surrender. It says to, it is a command to make the joyful shout to the Lord, all you people. Psalm 100. To raise your hands because of his loving kindness. Psalm 63. There's a posture of worship that we take and that we don't get to decide necessarily on our preferences. And so here's what worship is for, the backyard worship. The backyard worship is this. As it says in here in uh, in Colossians, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. First and foremost, musical worship is to let the peace of Christ rule rule in our hearts. Let it rule in our hearts. The world is hard. <clears throat> the world is continually trying to steal your heart. It's continually trying to steal your heart. It's trying to tear you away from God. The world is trying to, it is always trying to bombard you with its own worldviews and it's always trying to suck you in and protecting our hearts from the world is hard. It is exhausting. It is exhausting to go day by day at school, at work, in the community. It is exhausting. Men, you can attest to this. Men that go to college or that go in a workplace where there's no regulations on dress code. You guys know how exhausting it is to be on campus. Almost putting your head down and praying to the Lord. Women, you know how exhausting it is always struggling with judgments and the way people look at you. Men, you, all, you know how exhausting it is. Women, you know how exhausting it is to keep your heart pure and upright and be a good ambassador for Christ. You understand it's hard. And when I come to God in my home, my church home, it is a time for let the peace of Christ rule in my heart ascribing to him glory, surrender, and thanksgiving, praise. In doing that, I reignite my affections for him. I am pledging, guys, this worshiping is pledging your allegiance to God. If I'm not continually reigniting my heart for him, if I'm not continually, guys, if I'm not continually doing these things, pledging my allegiance to him, I'm going to fall. My heart is going to fall into despair and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful and expressing my thanksgiving to him 
your love for something or someone. Guys, guess what? Your love for someone or something is manifested in the way you speak about it. So, so God isn't this like this, this hungry God that's just trying to constantly fish for compliments. Please worship me, right? Why won't you text me back? You know, he's not that type of God, right? He's not a desperate God, but guess what? Your affection for something manifests itself in the way you praise it. Man, when the iPhone 6 came out, I could not, just people just constantly talking about it right? Constantly trying to show me something new about it. When you see a good movie, constantly talking about it. When you have that one show on Netflix that you need everybody to know about, right? You need everybody to know about it. Listen, listen. If God and his peace is truly reigning and ruling in our hearts, that will pour forth in praise, it will pour forth in singing, in adoration, in prayers of thanksgiving towards him. That is the first step to backyard worship, being refreshed in his presence. This is just among our home, guys, our home church. And the second thing it says, it says to stir up love and good works in one another. He says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> Period, guys. Here, here, here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. If we can't sing together, if we can't sit next to one another and lift up our hands in this safe place, if we can't sing and harmonize with one another, what makes you think that we can minister to the world with one another? If we can't do something as simple as sing the same tune as the person that's sitting next to us, it doesn't matter. Okay, I'm tone deaf, right? I have a terrible singing voice. But if I'm embarrassed to sing next to someone that I care about, how am I supposed to affect the world alongside them? And, and as, as we sing as one body, one voice... As we sing and give honor to God together, that will mimic what we do outside. That encourages and builds up and stirs up the body. Guys, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't sit back there in the darkness during worship. I like to sit up here with you guys. I feel like raise my hands with you guys, sing with you guys. So we're all, all in it together. And yeah, we take different postures of worship, but it's, it, it is all worshiping with one message. That's why we put the words up here. So that you guys can all take in the message and sing it together and mean it together. That's what musical worship is. And the way that Dan is, unifi- Dan is unified with the band up here. Dan, I don't know. I'm sick, stop. And the way that Dan, we're just going to call him Dan, in the way that he's unified with the, with, the people, with the different people with instruments up here, in the way that he's unified with them in making one melody, so we are unified together. Guys, you're just as much of an instrument as these are. You guys know that? Dane's job isn't to worship and kind of entertain you for a while. That's not his job. His job is to worship and to ascribe to God glory and show you how to do so. 
As Dane seeks God, we seek God. Right? It's not my job to impute you guys all the knowledge, right? It's my job to learn alongside you and encourage you and build you up to teach yourselves. To teach one another. That's the mission. That is what corporate worship is all about. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in a manner of some, but exhorting one another. Some people have a tendency to just bow out, either mentally or physically. They'll either leave the room or they'll just check out mentally. They don't want to pray with one another, encourage one another, or sing together because it requires actually getting real. And you may look stupid. If you're afraid of looking stupid in here in the four walls and the safety of your bro- with the brothers, amongst your brothers and sisters, you're going to be embarrassed out there. And listen, I get it. There's personality differences. Some people aren't as flamboyant as others and expressive as others. Some people aren't going to be dancing with flags up and down the aisles, right? I get that. I understand. But biblically, there are postures of worship that we ought to take. Singing, praising with thanksgiving, encouraging one another. And so this means during our worship time, it's not just singing, but it's also praying for the person next to you. And this manifests itself before and after service, talking to people, encouraging people when you're out there eating, praying with one another. Do not neglect that. We need to exhort one another. In my home, in my backyard, I can't learn to give God the glory. If I can't learn to give God the glory in my own home, in my backyard where I feel the most safe, where I feel the most secure amongst my roommates or amongst my friends, if I, if I can't feel comfortable in that context talking about Jesus or I can't feel com- comfortable in that context reading my Bible, getting in the Word, worshiping Him, then I'm not going to be confident when I get outside in my front yard. In Romans chapter 12, we're going to front yard worship. In Romans chapter 12, and it'll be really short, I'll close here. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a posture we ought to keep out, of, out in the world as well. <coughs> Always being alert always being aware of the patterns of this world, always being alert that that the world is going this way and that we are called to go upstream, worshiping God by teaching one another, praying together and singing together will give us the rest, the rejuvenation and the encouragement we need in order to go out into our jobs, to go out into our schools, to go out into our contexts and be effective. Surrendering ourselves to the will of God and mission. Sacrificing yourself. As you learn to humble yourself here amongst your brothers and your sisters. As you, as you learn to experience humility and confidence here. Singing amongst your brothers, amongst your sisters, amongst the elders. Amongst those who love you and care about you here. As we do that. It will give us everything necessary that we need to be encouraged by God's Spirit to go out into the world and be effective. 
So it says, don't neglect the gathering together as some have. And listen, some of you are so involved in church that you're not involved at all. Some of you are so incredibly involved in church that you actually have no effectiveness outside. Right? That's where the quads come in, where we, where we go out into our jobs and we make disciples there. That's where inner varsity and young life come in. But if we can't be here and encouraged by our home, our, our church body, if we can't be here and worship together and give glory to God together, we're going to be ill-equipped to go outside. And so I encourage you guys that as we take communion, you have to realize that we can come with humility and confidence before God because of what Christ has done for us, because his body was broken, which is what the bread represents, because his blood was shed. That's what the juice represents. That by Christ being broken for you and by his blood being spilled for you, you no longer are defined by your sins. So you can raise up holy hands. You can sing with a pure heart, as it says in Hebrews. You can have a pure heart before God because of Christ's atoning work for you. This is what gives us confidence. This is what gives us humility. And so we're going to worship tonight. And guys, I really encourage you. Get out of your comfort zone. Sing if you never sing. Raise your hands if you never hand, if you never have. Get on the floor here if you've never done that before. There's, there's two words. In, in Hebrew, the word for worship is, uh, is uh, shakah. Shakah, which means to prostrate yourself, which means to humble yourself. Go all of the way to the floor. Shakah. In the Greek, it's proskineho, which means to kiss the hand of the king. So in worship, we are humbled, but we're also confident in the presence of the king. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's worship. Father, we we give you honor tonight. Father, we, we desire to worship you in the ways that you have commanded us and be anchored in who you are, be refreshed by your presence. May we not forsake the assembling together. So Lord, yes, worship is singing. Worship is listening to the music and singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs together. But worship is also when we, when we eat with one another, when we talk with one another, when we pray with one another. Help us in all of that, Lord. So God, I pray that this time would be a sweet time with you that the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts. Lord, we, we understand the weight of worship. And God, we, we, we desire you tonight. So Holy Spirit, help us. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.